That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. For, for me, like my marginalized identity is um, invisible, you know, I'm, I'm gender conforming. So like most people, when they encounter me, aren't going to be like, oh, she, you know, she's queer. Like I, I'm pretty uh, uh, gender conforming. I'm feminine presenting. Um, and so people don't know that about me unless I reveal it. So it's, I feel like for me, I'm kind of constantly trying to navigate whether or not for the firm, I'm totally out. So they, they know they've all met Chelsea, but in professional encounters outside of the firm with like clients or, you know, anyone I email out, I, it's, I don't know if I'd want to signal that in my, I don't know even how I would in my signature block, but I don't know if I would want to, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like well, something I that I like to... being able to kind of choose, which it, which is a privilege. Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host Merle Vaughn. And here to BS with me today is Carmen Chambers, who, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Carmen, how you doing? Hi, Merle. I'm great. And I'm so honored to be on this podcast. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, so let me just just let folks know a little bit about who you are. Um, Carmen is a third-year associate at the law firm Maynard, Cooper, and Gale. I actually um, just started my fourth year, which is scary. Oh, <laughs> so uh, scary. And um, you're in the Birmingham, Alabama office, correct? I am. Okay. Um, Carmen received her JD from Georgetown and her BA from Yale. And I have to... Uh, <laughs> admit that I know Carmen personally because she and my daughter Taylor are besties from Yale. Um, Taylor got me through college. She's amazing. I think you were one of the first people she met when she went to Bulldog Days. Uh, I, I, I think that's right and also Taylor and I were talking recently about how the coldest we both have ever been was our first Harvard Yale game in Boston. It was like the, you know, LA girl and the Alabama girl just like have never <laughs> experienced that kind of wind and and cold. I thought I was gonna get frostbite. Yeah, I remember that. I remember the photo from that still oh. where you guys you guys actually left and went and found we left uh, and a got restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I and watched stuff. it on TV. <laughs> That's great. So I will. The other thing I want to acknowledge is that to date, you are the youngest uh, guest that we've had on uh, BS. And um, you're, you know, because admittedly, I think you would agree that you are a baby lawyer, right? I am. Yes, I am. So how, how is that going for you? You know, I mean, I, so 
I, I think I told you recently, I had my first, my first trial was this year and we, it was in the Southern district of Alabama. And it was actually the first, the, definitely the first trial, uh, federal jury, civil jury trial in Alabama since the COVID shutdown, but it was one of the first in the country. So I was nervous for many reasons, just being like a you know, a first timer, but also I had to do everything with a mask and a face shield. So it was really nerve wracking, but, uh, uh, it was such a great experience. And I feel like after I, once I got up there and there was a moment where I thought maybe litigation isn't for me because I had that knot in my stomach, but it, it totally dissipated as soon as I said, please state your name for the record. And uh, everyone was really kind to me. The judge, I think, knew that it was probably my first trial. Opposing counsel was kind. Um, so it was a great experience. But uh, yeah, one of the things about working, I think about working at a mid-market law firm as opposed to working at one of the big law firms in New York is that you really are thrown in, which um, is great for a young attorney, but also terrifying at times. But I've loved it. Well, and I remember seeing on Facebook, because I'm also, I, I think everybody I've interviewed, I've, I'm friends on Facebook <laughs> with, but I, I feel like either on Instagram or Facebook, I remember you posting um, about that trial and didn't you win? We did. We did. It was, it was a great, a great verdict and um, client was happy. So it was an awesome experience, an awesome experience to have had my first to take witnesses in a federal courtroom, but also to win felt amazing. <laughs> awesome. Now, I was actually a little surprised when you graduated from law, law school and then went back to the South. I know. I know. <laughs> and I mean, although I love your accent, it's so adorable. <laughs> it's, coming, it's coming back more. Like the longer I'm here, the more it comes out. Yeah, so so talk to us about, I mean, you know, going to Yale for undergrad and then going to law school at Georgetown, but then deciding to return home to Alabama when you had, you know, we know yeah. that that's quite a decision to make for a lot of reasons that we'll get into, I think. Yeah, But, but what prompted that decision? Well, and so Merle, also between... Uh, college and law school, I was in New York for a couple years. So okay. I actually think that helped me realize that I, I didn't want to be an attorney in New York. I was a paralegal at Jenner and Block, which was a great experience. It's a great firm. Um, but I think I knew from my experience as a para at a big law firm that I probably um, wanted to go to a mid-market firm that had a little bit of a better work-life balance. Um, and also, I knew that I wanted to to eventually go to the South and be closer to my family. Like, you know my family. They're all in Mobile, which is about four hours away from Birmingham. It's on the coast of Alabama. My mom is Puerto Rican, so she's got, they call it like the Puerto Rican compound because it's all <laughs> of our family uh, connected by like little sidewalks and connects to this big patio. So I grew up with a lot of family and imagining starting my own, own, own family somewhere far away was hard for me to imagine. Okay. So I wanted to be driving distance 
from home, but in a city, a blue city, a city that gave me, that I could see myself in. So I was looking at Nashville and Austin and Birmingham. And I just, I really liked Birmingham and it was the closest to home. And I care more about the state of Alabama just because I'm from here and I want to see it do better. So I wanted to come home to Alabama. It helped also, I I was, I started to date, Chelsea and I met when I was in New York and we dated long distance at law school. So it also helps when you've already kind of found your person right. to, to make that kind of big move leap home. So that helped to have her um, be willing to come back with me, which is honestly like the, the bigger mystery, born and bred New Yorker decides yeah, to I, leave I New York. Find- I did find that surprising because she is from the Northeast. Um, oh, yeah. And I mean, and, you know, frankly, because, you know, you're, you're a, a gay couple. Um, right. It, you know, it did. I, I was surprised. So but but that's why, you know, we do this podcast. Right. So to to get beyond stereotypes, to educate people on differences and to to talk about experiences to so that you know people like me don't leap to conclusions that aren't necessarily true right so I didn't even know that that Birmingham is a blue city oh yeah Birmingham is a blue city Birmingham's a black city and you know I can't I can't speak from a black person. Obviously I'm white, so I don't know what it's like for someone's lived experience as a black person in Birmingham. But as far as our lived experience as a queer couple, uh, it's great. And sometimes I think like cities in the Northeast or in the Bay area sometimes feel absolved of, uh, of certain things because of where they are. And uh, these, these, smaller cities, these blue mid-sized cities, I feel like people are more committed and dedicated to, to, to the work, as they say, you know, I feel like people mm-hmm. really try to, to, um, to acknowledge their, their privilege and to understand how their privileges help them and hurt others. And I don't know, I just, there are things that, and a, a type of resistance, a, a transformative resistance that I feel like you see in the South that you really don't see other places. And Chelsea will laugh, my wife, Chelsea, she uh, she laughs because she feels like people are so nice to her here. I mean, people, people never stopped her in Brooklyn to tell her that they liked her hair, but in Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama, she will get stopped on the street by like, everyone saying like I just want you to know that I love your hair and it's so it's so it's so nice and I uh, and I think there's this there's part of people that we know they're they're just acutely aware of of our history and um what assumptions people might make and so they almost go out of their way maybe even overcompensating to make you feel comfortable which is you know for your quality of life is great so I have so many questions. I don't know how we're going to get through this in um, an hour. But okay, so you use the word, I use the word gay, and yeah. you use the word queer. 
Yeah. So can you educate me and the audience on what Absolutely. the is and why you choose the word queer? Yeah. So I know that queer, uh, you know, decades ago was uh, like a derogatory term. I, I've, it's been reclaimed and it's also the word that's used in academia when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, queer theory or, or it's sort of like an umbrella term for to encompass, encompass everything that's not, you know, the straight cisgender world. Um, I like queer when talking about myself, I identify as queer or bisexual because I'm not a lesbian. So I like, I identify as bi, bisexual or queer. I like both of those words. And mm-hmm. um, and when talking about Chelsea and me, I'm fine. I'm fine saying a gay couple or a queer couple because we are, we're that. But for me individually, I like the word, I like the word queer. Okay. And do you do the pronoun? Do you, in your signature block, have you added pronouns? You know, great question. I really, I really want to, and I haven't, at, I, I, and I need to, and I, it's something that I've put on my to-do list in my mind of talking to Maynard Cooper about putting our pronouns in our signature block. Um, I know that one of my best friends, Shruthi, is at uh, Wilkie Farr in New York, and they just implemented that um, across the firm, which I think is great, but I haven't yet. Well, I will I will admit that I haven't done it, and I'm Miss Diversity, right? <laughs> so, but I, I haven't done it because I just, I don't know. I, I, it's just one of those things where I, I'm just not sure. It's something that I need to do. Now, if I were to do something, I would want to put on my on my signature block black. And yeah. and the reason I would want to put black is because that's how I would want to be. I want to be identified. I don't want to be called African American or a person of color or the new yeah. BIPOC or whatever it is. Yeah. So you know it's like if if, yeah. if I were gonna like tell somebody, look, this is how you need to address me. I would use black. So, so I have this kind of, I know it sounds crazy, but um, if we have, if we, should we, I, I don't know. I, but I just thought I'd ask you about that. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy. I think um, it's interesting thinking about us, like signaling our, our identities, you know, for, for me, like my marginalized identity is, um, invisible you know I'm, I'm gender conforming so like most people when they encounter me aren't going to be like oh she you know she's queer like I, I'm pretty uh uh gender conforming I'm feminine presenting um and so people don't know that about me unless I reveal it so it's I feel like for me I'm kind of constantly trying to navigate whether or not for the firm I'm totally out so they they know they've all met Chelsea but in professional encounters outside of the firm with like clients or you know anyone I email out I it's I don't know if I'd want to signal that in my I don't know even how I would in my signature block but I don't know if I would want to you know right (laughs) like something that I like being able to kind of choose which which is a privilege you know that I I have that I exactly um that I get to exactly you you have a choice 
which brings me which, which brings me to the question about the firm. So when you were going through uh, on campus interviews when they still had that, um, yeah, and and trying to decide, you know, because I'm sure you had a myriad of, of uh, options because you're brilliant and beautiful oh. and all that. Did did you take into account um, how the firm would react, especially since you're not outwardly queer, right? So it did, was that something that you factored in? Did you tell them up front? How, how did that transpire? Totally. So I, so Maynard Cooper didn't do on-campus interviews at Georgetown. So I, I had to seek out firms in Alabama that I was interested in. Uh, I think, I, I think I remember like Googling, you know, best firms in Alabama and Maynard Cooper, um, in my opinion, is the best firm. It's up there at least with some other great firms in Alabama. And, um, so I got the interview after my grades came in and, uh, I, I knew, you know, they're interviewing me, but I felt like I was also interviewing them. Like I, I wanted to work, I wanted to work somewhere that knew how to respond to queerness, who, uh, that like cared about diversity at the firm, that, that knew that diversity makes a better firm, a more successful firm that invites better business. And I wanted to work at a firm that would, that would signal to me that they wanted me not in spite of that part of my life, but that it's a value add mm -hmm. um, to their, to the firm, to the culture at the firm. And Maynard Cooper did that. I mean, I, and I didn't really know how anyone was going to, how anyone was going to react, but I went into those interviews unapologetically myself, which again, I want to acknowledge that I'm a white cis femme and I have a lot of privilege that makes me feel safe doing that. Mm -hmm. And I felt safe doing that. And I, I know that I'm lucky to have been in that position in those interviews, but um, Maynard Cooper reacted beautifully. Everyone I interviewed with knew what everything to say. I mean, they they directed me to to people on the diversity committee. I was passionate about pro bono work, and they followed up with me about the different pro bono work that they did. Um, they asked at that time. Chelsea and I were not even dating yet. I mean, I wasn't. Um, Honestly, Merle, I think I was dating a man at that time and I was still kind of out to them as queer and they and they were great. So uh, it was definitely part of my decision in picking a firm. I wanted to, to be somewhere that I felt um, like I added value when I brought my whole self, not just part of me, you know. That's awesome. So, okay, I, I'm listening to you and I, I know you, so I'm I'm. I'm you know, I'm picturing you, and I can only imagine, especially now that you, you know, are out um, and you're married to a woman, the stereotypes that you must have to like, <laughs> like fend off. I mean, because what y'all can't see uh, on this podcast is that Carmen is beautiful. Oh, stop! <laughs> so, no, I, I, it, it's true, and so. You know, I, I can only imagine like the kind of advances and things that you might have to deal with with men. Um, and I, I, I oh, man. talk to me, talk to me about 
how you know how how you deal with the feelings and stuff associated with all that there's stereotypes on on one before they know that i'm queer everyone assumes that i'm straight or that if i'm married i'm married to a man um then once people find out that i'm married to a woman um you know the the assumption then is that I am a lesbian and I'm not attracted to men. Um, so then, in, in addition to that, though, it's like, it's, especially before Chelsea and I were married, where, which I feel like is this like protection or something. <laughs> but before it was like, oh, well, um, that doesn't mean you're not interested. I mean, you know, it's like the, it's, it's like it's you haven't every, met me yet. You haven't yeah, exactly. Yet. I mean, it's everything you'd expect that, like, you know, that it's an invitation, that it's, um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Now, your mother is a retired judge, correct? She is. She was uh, a family court judge in Mobile, um, and she was uh, appointed when I was two, so she was 32 so young which is crazy wow. uh, and she just retired after 26 years I guess she retired a couple years ago 26 years on the bench and now she does divorce mediation okay and so what what if any cause, and I know your sister went to law school and I think it's a practicing lawyer as well so she, what yeah. is your father a lawyer too yes yeah I know <laughs> I, I told myself I would never be a lawyer and then here I am but yeah family of lawyers and so did, did um, you know, that that's another potential area of privilege, right? That you grew up with two, two parents as, as lawyers. You probably Absolutely. heard that, that those conversations at the dinner table. How, how do you think that helped form you uh, and your decisions going for, you know, uh, the decisions that you made? about your education and your um, career? Yeah, it's a, it's a massive privilege. I think especially to have a, a mother, not not just a, an attorney, but a, a judge, to be able to, uh, I mean, I, for the longest time, Merle, uh, I mean, it. I think I found out when I was six years old that men could be judges too. <sighs> I'm serious. And my mom had introduced me to like another first graders dad and said that he's a judge with me. And I told her, you know, no mama, only girls can be judges. And so just, yeah. So I think to be able to, to have representation so close to you, not just like in movies, but to have it in my own household, to be able to, to never to never question that it was possible for me to, to really do whatever I wanted to do in my life um, is a huge privilege and one that I probably can't even, you know, I can't imagine not having it. So um, uh, I feel really lucky for that. And my mom, uh, her father is, he passed when I was younger. He's Puerto Rican and came to the States when he was 14. And I know with all four of his kids that he gave them, uh, like very little options of what they could do. I mean, it was, I think he, it was either you went to med school, law school, or uh, you became a CPA. So they, I think, you know, and it was his kind of coming to the States and wanting his children to have a certain path of success. And so my mom picked law school and did really well. And um, they didn't have the same thing with Camille and me, 
they were supportive of whatever we wanted to do, but I think there was part of them too that wanted us to have a, a degree um, that that was versatile. So I'm I'm glad that I that I went to law school, but I know how you know how enormously lucky I am to have had parents who 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 pushed us that way and who allowed us to see our futures and in, in this kind of career. So so how. How would you describe your authenticity, uh, and how have how do you feel that it's made a difference in your um, professional life? So, my I I feel like my desire to pursue my authentic self um, is. I mean, personally, it's the reason I get got to marry my favorite, the best human in the world, Chelsea, that every, every hard conversation, every difficult moment and that journey to, to figure out who I am and to really to live authentically led me to a place in my life where I would um, feel confident and, and see a future with, um, with whoever I fall in love with. And, um, and then I led me to Chelsea professionally i i feel like when i think back on those interviews with maynard cooper and to be able to to bring my whole self into an interview room i think it it helped me and that i could see a future at the firm i could see um see myself being happy at the firm and i think it helps I, we 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 know it helps the firm too to have um, to have diverse candidates come through uh, the doors and stay there. Okay, so let's let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Um, okay, you started an organization called the Bevy. Yes. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I started with my friend Britt Blaylock, and uh, I Britt and I actually met in New York City. Uh, like a, what feels like a million years ago, uh, but probably like 10 years ago. And uh, she was living there at the time. I was dating someone in New York when I was uh, in New Haven, so taking the train. And I met Britt, who is from uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I'm from Mobile, Alabama, which is like 45 minutes away. And uh, we stayed friends for the next five years or so. And so when I moved back, or was thinking of moving back to Birmingham and was inter interviewing at Maynard Cooper and then ultimately working as a summer associate there. I, Britt was one of them, one of the only people I knew in Birmingham. She had moved back to, uh, to Alabama too. And one thing that I had always had, you know, for the past like six or seven years being on the uh, East coast was a robust queer community and in college at Yale and then in New York and in DC there were, it was just a, a big community that would have happy hours and and uh, just a vibrant nightlife and I got to Birmingham and you look around and you don't want to you don't want to like generalize or stereotype people but I'm like what? you look like family you know like you look like you might be that you might not be straight and so I, I just I was looking around and thinking like, come on, like we can't be the only people here. And so Britt and I uh, 
we texted, you know, the few people that we knew and then told them to text the people that they knew. And we had a happy hour that was like 25 people. It was small, Um, but it was great. And then we named it the bevy and we made a Facebook group and then it became like a hundred people. I went back to law school because I was, had to finish my third year and Brett kept it going every month, uh, a happy hour. And then when I got back, we uh, co-led it. And now it's, you know, it's exploded into, I think our Facebook group has uh, over 2000 members. I'd have to check, but I mean, just a a huge network. And when we were doing happy hours, which we can't do anymore because of COVID, uh, we'd have like 60 to 70 people come. So it's a, a social and professional network for queer women and then trans and non-binary people of all genders and sexuality. Um, so, uh, and so is it, is it purely a social club or do you have, um, uh, do you plan on doing anything, uh, you know, that is community-based or uh, to help people or? Yeah, so Britt and I have so many plans and this year was gonna be like our big, um, our big year for a lot. And then coronavirus kind of threw a wrench in all of it, but we've always seen the bevy. It, it has so much potential. I mean, it's literally just a, a way to connect, um, connect a lot of, of like-minded or similarly situated people and create that community. So we, we've had, uh, fundraisers and we've, we've done, um, things to benefit the community, but it's been predominantly a social, the the skeletal structure of it is a happy hour every third Thursday. And then because you've got all these people connected on Facebook, there are tons of things that happen outside of that, like, you know, bike rides and movie nights and, and small fundraisers and spinoff groups for, for sober people in the group or for, you know, there's tons that can happen off of it. And we'd love at some point, um, to incorporate or to, to, to do more with it, but we just haven't been able to this year, but we've um, started chapters across the Southeast, which has been awesome. So now it's not just Birmingham, it's Memphis, Nashville, Mobile, New Orleans, Huntsville. There are so many questions I could ask you and, <laughs> and we can't talk forever. Do, do you have um, any fun or you know, illustrative stories that, that you'd like to share with our audience to to give them an idea of of you know how to how to uh, uh, deal with uh, stereotypes and but remain you know be your authentic self. I'm trying to. I was thinking about this question, and I have you know, there's so many stories because I work in product liability. So like I represent companies who um, who are facing allegations of a product being manufactured defectively or designed defectively. And so sometimes we'll have these inspections, um, like after a tank explodes, for example, I might get sent to an inspection by myself. And uh-huh. Merle, I am always uh, the only woman and uh, definitely the youngest. So it'll usually be like 15 uh 15 older white men ready to do this tank inspection. And then I walk up and someone has asked me if I'm someone's daughter before. And 
you know, it's like, I mean, it's like, yeah, I am, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny. And I think I just try to laugh it off. But then I'm like, no, I I represent, you know, XYZ company. And so then they're kind of surprised. But, um, uh, you know, it's funny. I think I do try, I, I, I do try to fight stereotypes. And uh, one thing that I've noticed, and especially in Southern firms, I think that's, I think a lot of firms have the um, kind of boys club culture and Maynard Cooper has done a good job of fighting that. But, you know, there people love Alabama football and they love hunting huh. and they're definitely, there's, I, I get it's a stereotype that a woman is uninterested in those kinds of topics. And like, it's not, they're not, with me particularly, they're not wrong. Like, I don't think I would choose to talk about Alabama football over something else or hunting over something else. But I do have my um, antlers from when I, the first deer I killed when I was 14. I have my antlers in my office as a conversation piece <laughs> and to, to fight that stereotype just because it, it drives me crazy. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, the, the one that, that I, um, always deal with is the golf conversation right oh my god yeah they because it's always assumed that a woman does not play golf um absolutely and and if you do you're not good and um neither are true for me I do play golf and I am good and I'm sure you're so good (laughs) And, and so it's always you know really funny to you know, be part of a conversation and then, you know, have, you know, figuring out how you're going to, you know, in a, in a funny way, let them know that that was a really, you know, you're you're making a generalization, you're making a stereotype. So let, let me correct you there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you just reminded me of a story and this was not at Maynard Cooper. This would, I truly believe would never happen at Maynard Cooper, but it was a different firm that I worked at for a summer and an older partner walked in and I shared an office with uh, uh, another summer associate who's a, who's a man. And he walked in and he just started having an entire conversation about golf with my office mate did not engage me once. Didn't, I mean, I'm literally three feet away. I'm looking at them. I'm not acting like I'm super busy. Didn't even look my way. And I grew up, my dad would take us playing golf every Sunday. So, I mean, every Sunday in high school, I think we stopped when I was like a junior or a senior, but yeah, we'd go as a family every Sunday and play golf. I'm not great at golf, but I enjoyed it. I can talk about it. And, um, I interrupted him or I commented on something about golf and he turned to me and he said, you played golf. And I said, yeah, my dad used to take me every Sunday. And then he said, did he think you were a boy? (gasps) Isn't that terrible? I mean, this was one of the many reasons I wasn't going to work at this firm, but I was like, you know, what in the world? I mean, just crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's a great place to end. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to end there. I do want to ask, I do ask this question of everybody. Um, so what role does diversity, inclusion, and equity play in how you walk through your life? So 
such a great question. And I feel like, I mean, equity, the idea of like working to eliminate barriers, recognizing the own, the privileges that you walk with every day um, and the ways that those privileges can perpetuate the barriers. That feels like, you know, it's not like a book you can read or a podcast you can listen to. It's like life work. And so I feel like it's, um, it's something that I, I want to be part of my life's work, not just, not just professionally, even though I really, I really appreciate um, having conversations with people at Maynard Cooper about diversity, inclusion and equity, but also like in my personal friendships, I want my, I want my deepest personal, authentic relationships to be diverse. Like I don't want my all of my friendships to just reflect me and myself and my life back to me because, you know, it, it, we are better when we are exposed to difference, different perspectives, different life experiences. And um, I think that we, we create the, a more fulfilling life when we really embrace, embrace it and engage with it. So, you know, from, my friendships to like my Instagram feed and people talk about diversifying your Instagram feed, making sure that I'm seeing content, not just from people who look like me having content right. from, from black and Brown trans folks um, from, from, from different, different types of people. And I also think about it in like my consumer behavior. Like I want to be, I want my consumer behavior to reflect uh those values of caring about um, equity and putting my money, um, my money where my mouth is, you know? So I, I feel like I have a lot of work to do. I think we all have a lot of work to do and it feels like, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a journey. It's not just, not just um, a book, you know, it's something that we have to dedicate a lot of energy to, throughout our life. And, and I, and I hope to be doing that. So it's very important to me. And, um, and, and I just am always trying to be better. Well, all I can tell you is that I can't wait to uh, watch you uh, on the rest of your journey. I, I have no doubt that you're going to do amazing things and that you and Chelsea are going to have a and a, a beautiful life together with a with a, a, a gorgeous family, and oh, Merle. Um, you know. And one of one of the things that I appreciate so much is the fact that you know my daughter, through my daughter Taylor, I have access to um, such amazing young people like you, uh, and your and you know, a lot of your other friends. And um, I just want to say thank well, you for, I, for Carmen, for being here to BS with me today. Well, it's been, it's been so much fun. And I, I, I feel so lucky to have you in my life because of Taylor. And honestly, Chelsea and I are just going to try to have our family be half as beautiful as Taylor and Zach and the boys. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. And until the next episode, Remember that everybody is different and different is good. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS. 
beyond stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.